This is Buy-In, a valuation podcast from Horn Healthcare. What will the physician employment and acquisition markets look like post-pandemic? What are the biggest challenges for valuing physician compensation post-COVID? I'm Rudd Blumentritt from Horn Healthcare, and today on Buy-In, our guest is healthcare attorney Bill Mathias a shareholder with Baker Donaldson in Baltimore, Maryland. Bill is co-chair of Baker's Health Law Group and a national leader on healthcare fraud and abuse and compliance. You likely know Bill from his extensive work with the American Bar Association Health Law Section and the American Health Lawyers Association, where he served as vice chair of the Fraud and Abuse Practice Group. In practice, Bill works with hospitals and health systems to develop physician alignment strategies, including joint ventures, co-management agreements, and gain-sharing agreements. We're very happy to have Bill here today to answer and ask a few questions about physician compensation valuation in the new normal. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Great, Rob. Thanks for having me today. Um, it's a real pleasure to join Horn for this uh, timely discussion. Um, you know, Horn, Horn's got some really terrific people um, who we've worked with over the years. Um, and, you know, frankly, I, I like to see you guys, whether you're on my side or the other side, it's helpful to have you all there because we know our, uh, that either our clients are get, will get good advice or the other side's getting good advice. So, um, you know, when we think about it, it it's really amazing what's happened um, in, this, in this world since January. Absolutely. Right? The, the, the first public health emergency was signed January 31st and mm-hmm. effective back to January 27th. And, you know, we've, we've seen Congress pass $2 trillion in relief packages. We've seen some really uh, significant regulatory um, waivers at the federal level, the state level, the local level, you know, trying to keep track of all that stuff. Um, and I know you guys have been struggling with that, and we have too. It's, it's just, it's really amazing trying to keep track of all this. Um, you know, we've seen, particularly with our topic today, we've seen the stark blanket waivers um, come into effect. We've seen the OIG come out with guidance on the kickback statute. Um, but you know, what's what's been interesting is, uh, frankly, not not all of it, not all of the guidance we've been getting as as we've gotten into this has been quite as reassuring um, as the as the initial guidance, right? Yes. The, yes. The, the initial sense was, hey, you know, everything will be fine. You know, we're all in this together. We're doing this to, to help, you know, get through this crisis. And then, you know, slowly but surely you see, well, you know, there'll be a lot of reporting and DOJ will be looking at this and OIG will be looking at this and it's in the OIG work plan. And so, you know, we've had, um, you know, we've, we've had providers who've given back millions of dollars in CARES money yes. because, They've gotten worried about, you know, what the expectations will be and what the, you know, not frankly, not even the government investigations, but, you know, what will the media reports be, right? Yeah. New York Times articles have triggered uh, some some real anxiety with some some clients. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, down down the line, I think we're going to see um, greater scrutiny of hospitals and physician arrangements, and so, you know, this discussion today is really timely in terms of. How do we deal with these issues? Absolutely. You really, you really laid the groundwork for this discussion, and there's just, just so much has, has gone on in such a short period of time. And in all my time in healthcare, um, you know, just this rapid fire 
uh, of things hitting us uh, from all different sides, it has been um, uh, kind of incredible to witness. So I think the, the comments you make there uh, are, are, are right on point and really, again, lay the groundwork for really what we're going to be talking about today. And, uh, you know, we've, as we've been doing this series, we're talking a lot about, you know, valuation um, and various topics around that and things that have, have come out of the, the public health emergency and, and the rapid involvement uh, of, of issues that are coming from that. And then, you know, trying to look down the road um, and as best we can predict uh, where some of this stuff will land. And, you know, we're getting a lot of questions from our clients to that end um, because, you know, I think one of the things that we're seeing in this is just, just this, this idea uh, or issue around uncertainty. Um, and that seems to be um, kind of a prevalent uh, specter in all of this. It's just, we've created a lot of uncertainty uh, in the marketplace and uh, I'm seeing our, our clients uh, struggle with that. Um, and that's what, you know, a lot of this discussion today is about, um, you know, how do we, how do we start to bridge that gap? How do we start to help our clients navigate this minefield? Um, and, you know, what you talked about, just this rapid pace in healthcare, the one question I would have for you is, you know, what do you, or how are you advising your hospital clients regarding things like physician compensation and practice acquisition post-COVID? Yeah, so th this has been really interesting. And, you know, when you say post-COVID, it's, it's not after COVID's gone, that's post the introduction of COVID. Like, what right. are you doing now right. with this? Um, and, and it's, I, I actually, it's, it's been really interesting because you, you've seen this um, transition in sort of the approach of hospitals, right? That when this first hit in January, the questions were sort of, oh man, you know, we got to keep our, we got to keep our physicians um, held harmless from this, you know, we don't, we don't want them, you know, if they've got a, a deal that's based on productivity, how do we protect them? Because, you know, maybe right. they're not going to be quite as productive, right? So that was sort of this initial feeling was, how do we protect the doctors? And it's like slowly the reality started sinking in as hospitals started spending more and more on PPE and, you know, putting tents up in the parking lot for their emergency room and, you know, figuring out how do we put patients in, you know, local hotels and this and that and all this spending mm -hmm. and all, and, and all of a sudden the, you know, the elective procedures dry up. And so they're getting hit from both ends, right? They're less revenue coming in and more revenue going out. And they're just like, wait a second, we can't hold doctors harmless. We've got right. to figure out how do we start reducing doctors' salaries? Right. What, what are our options, right? right? I'm sure you've seen that, right? Yes. Those kinds of questions. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, as, as we started to, to get to this second phase where we're looking at what, what can we do, um, you know, the, the blanket waivers have given, the stark blanket waivers given a fair amount of flexibility. Right. Um, but, you know, there's also... There's, there's hazards for the unwary in those, in those Absolutely. blanket waivers, right? There's Absolutely. things in there. They say, you know, they, they've waived certain conditions of stark exceptions, but, all, but they say, oh, but if we didn't waive it, then those other aspects are still there. Right. Um, 
And so, you know, a lot of it is just working through situations with clients. And, and you know, for the most part, we can get the clients where they want to be. But frankly, it's not always directly the way you would think it would be. Right. You know, we've, we've done things like, you know, they, the CMS took the dollar cap off the non-monetary compensation exception. And so that's opened up the ability to put some things in non-monetary comp that you would never have done because you had, you know, a really low dollar threshold, but now right. maybe there's some things you can put in there. Same, same with medical staff incidental benefits, right? If you were, right. I mean, we got, we were getting a lot of questions about taking doctors and Hey, we, we don't, doctors don't want to go home when they've been treating lots of COVID patients. They want to stay in a hotel. How do we afford to do that? Right. Right. You know? So we, we've definitely seen um, a lot of issues like that where, you know, um, you're just trying to figure out a way, a way to get through. And it's not, it's not always the most direct way, but, but typically we can get there. I think looking at this from, from your perspective on the valuation side, you know, what are, what are the things that you've been seeing? Well, I think there's a, a number of things and you, you touched on them. Um, you know, I think one thing we will see is that many physician practice will be facing financial distress post COVID um, and, and for the foreseeable future in many cases. And, and looking for investment from the marketplace for financial security going forward. I think simultaneously, I think this will be coupled with financial investors like uh, private equity and insurance companies, to name a few, looking for opportunities to invest in the healthcare space, uh, including investment physician practices. Um, and as we know, when these investors uh, tend to come into the market, they tend to disrupt local healthcare markets. Um, and if we see a strong uptick in that, I think this will likely impact compensation expectations in certain markets. Um, uh, telemedicine has already, uh, you know, had its, you know, watershed moment. I think the proliferation of telemedicine will potentially have an impact on physician compensation as well. I mean, all indications are that telemedicine will remain in a form at least somewhat similar to what we experienced during the public health emergency. Um, I mean, I think yeah, the last- Rod, Rod, Rod I, saw, I saw a statistic the other day that Medicare spending on telehealth has gone up 1,800%. Yeah. I mean, when you look at some of these statistics, they're, they're just off the charts. I mean, the last figure I saw was that about 50% of physicians are now treating patients using telehealth. Um, and that number was probably a third of that pre-COVID. Um, you know, pre-COVID, it, it just wasn't financially feasible in many cases to provide telemedicine services. You know, doctors were required to, you know, invest and use expensive and somewhat cumbersome uh, telemedicine software to comply with HIPAA. Uh, and of course, in reality, a lot of payers really didn't consider telemedicine to be real medicine. Um, uh, and there's just a lot of red tape to go through. Uh, of course, all that changed, you know, literally overnight uh, with the public health emergency. I think one of the big questions around that for telemedicine is, is it a net positive or is it a net, is a net negative for the practice? Um, what impact does that have on physician compensation, for example? Um, are we cannibalizing higher reimbursement cases? Um, how much does it cost to implement and maintain telemedicine? Um, does it, in some cases, eliminate fixed practice costs, such as 
uh, staff and, and uh, space. I think, you know, as, as evaluators are looking at compensation, I think that's going to be a big question. Uh, what is the impact of telemedicine? And I, I think it'll take some time before we really see what that looks like. Um, beyond that, uh, you mentioned this kind of early on, uh, the, the kind of some of the models, especially the um, fixed compensation models that we saw uh, and how those played out in some instances. Um, so I think another uh, post-COVID compensation trend may be in the area of compensation models themselves for employed physicians. I think we may see a shift from what we see are a lot of fixed or highly fixed comp models to those that more maybe put more at risk or, or purely production-based. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned this or you alluded to this early on, a, a number of physician specialties right now, we're seeing productivity volumes cut in half or even more in some cases uh, from the public health emergency. Um, and so in those employment arrangements where physicians had these guaranteed salaries, but where patient volume plummeted during the public health emergency, I mean, those, those arrangements have registered significant losses. And obviously, um, hospitals have, have worked to try to, uh, you know, limit that as, as best possible. Um, so I expect we'll see some more models focus on productivity going forward. Um, and I think probably from there, we'll, we'll see maybe uh, more and more of a move to value-based drivers as we see reimbursement move from fee-for-service to value-based. Um, and of course, anytime you move the drivers of compensation, you'll see shifts in where the money goes. So no doubt those shifts will create winners and losers. Um, and then I guess you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, this, this, the, the impact of uncertainty, um, what, what you might call the COVID effect. Um, so one of the questions that might be asked is, has COVID reduced physician compensation in general? Um, I think the answer is it, it probably depends. Um, compensation will continue to be based on specific facts and circumstances on a case-by-case -case basis, as, as always. Um, but uncertainty tends to lower value, um, just strictly thinking from a valuation mindset. Um, so to the extent you, you, we don't know what the future holds in terms of things like revenue generation capability or patient volumes or operating costs or what delivery models may look like, again, things like telemedicine and, and other things that have emerged um, that will continue on post the, the health emergency, those may tend to lower expectations and drive compensation down until we see some stabilization. Um, now, I might counter that notion um, with what we always see in valuation, the, the idea that a hypothetical seller is not under any compulsion to sell. So, if you apply that concept to compensation, which is typically what we do in compensation valuation. We take generally accepted business valuation concepts and try to fit them within the context of determining compensation means that physicians may not accept lower compensation and that may trump uh, the uncertainty in the model. So I think a lot of that, we'll just have to see how it plays out. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a moment. And we're back to our conversation with Bill Mathias. No, I think that's a great point. And it, it kind of goes to that, um, your point about will, there, will hospitals try and push towards more fixed compensation models? Um, because 
you know, frankly, one of the selling points that they've had to physicians to becoming employees, right? Because frankly, the younger generation's a little different than the older generation, but frankly, doctors don't want to, most doctors I talk to don't really want to be employees. Right. right? They want to, they you know, hang out there, hang, hang out their shingle and, you know, have their own office and, you know, maybe a small group or something like that. Um, but, you know, hospitals have been able to say, hey, we'll take some of the risk off you you know, by becoming our employee. Right. And, and the more we move away from fixed compensation to, to you know, the, the eat what you kill kind of model, you're, you're, you're sort of losing one of those selling points of the hospital arrangement. So Absolutely. It, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, I think the other factor, going back to something you said a couple minutes ago, is, you know, what role will insurance companies play, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're already seeing you know, United and some of the blues get into more and more, you know, physician acquisition um, and owning practices. And frankly, insurance companies are doing pretty well in, in this pandemic because <laughs> they're not having to pay for elective surgeries right now. Absolutely. So. They're sitting on a lot of, of capital. And, you know, I've seen, and you've probably seen this as well. I mean, they're seeing this as an opportunity to invest in practices um, that, particularly those that are um, maybe not what you might call financially distressed per se, but may not have the means to um, recruit a new physician to the market, for example. And I've seen situations where um, they are looking at that as an opportunity to invest in a practice. In other words, they will, they will help come alongside that for an equity stake in the practice. Um, so that, that's kind of a, a brave new world. Um, to some extent, I think hospitals, you know, hospital clients have to recognize that too, because it's um, another um, player in the market competing for physicians and physician market share. And, and you know, um, it, it will have an impact on where those physicians send their patients when they're owned by an insurance company. Absolutely. Owned by a hospital. Absolutely. So let's transition a little bit to to talk about Stark. And you mentioned waivers and some of the impact uh, that's having. And also, I guess, some of the the confusion that that has created as well in the marketplace and uncertainty. I keep going back to this concept of uncertainty because in my mind, it it seems to be driving so many things. Um, I know the proposed rule and waivers have changed the game for healthcare lawyers. And our practice has certainly been impacted as well. What do you anticipate the process will look like for lifting the Stark waivers implemented during the, the public health emergency? What will that look like? So, you know, that's, that's a really interesting question. And if, if we'd been having this conversation three or four weeks ago, I would have said, you know what, this is going to be a nightmare. We're going to have, you know, uh, just kind of fall off a cliff because, you know, the, the waivers are based on there being a public health emergency. And when the public health emergency ends, it, there's really not a legal authority to continue the waivers. And so how do you sort of transition that? But it's interesting. Um, Kim Brandt, who's one of the principal um, deputy administrator for policy and operations at CMS, she um, she was quoted as speaking at a conference and saying, you know, we're going to figure out how to have a glide path um, post the public health emergency. Um, And so, 
you know, it seems clear that, that CMS is, is trying to figure out how do they create some sort of a glide path um, mm-hmm. post the public health emergency. I mean, the other thing is the current public health emergency ends at the end of um, July um, unless it's extended. And, right. you know, frankly, I've been hearing rumors of, um, you know, some discussions in the administration that it might look better for the reelection if the public health emergency were over. Um, yes. And so, so it is interesting how the, being an election year, I think, just adds another layer of, of to this this whole situation. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as we get closer to the election and further away from sort of the the shock of the public health emergency. I mean, think about those, those first bills that Congress passed. They passed, you know, without objection almost, right? Right, right. And now all of a sudden, you know, there have been talks for weeks, maybe months, about is, should there be any additional stimulus? And Congress has sort of, you know, fallen back into its old ways of, you know, of partisan politics so Absolutely. And, and as we as we get closer to the election that's that's only going to become more yeah so. it's just going to heighten that but you know i mean i think again get, getting back to sort of the details of of stark um the you know they've they've issued some explanatory guidance um back in april that has has provided some help you know there were questions about you know, if, if we're giving physicians loans to help them get through this public health crisis and we want to give those low interest loans, do, do we have to go to a fair market value interest rate on those loans once the public health emergency ends? And we've gotten guidance from CMS that says, no, as long as you've set up the repayment terms um, and they're reasonable and, you know, sort of based on the guidance that that can continue um, out past the public health emergency. So we've seen, we've seen some help. And, you know, frankly, I think as we get closer to, to the public health emergency ending, you know, hopefully we'll get some more guidance that helps us. But, but right now, you know, part of this is, you know, just trying, trying to stay on top of this and being prepared to see what happens. Cause you know, right. I mean, we, we could be, we could be 30 days away from this public health emergency ending. Um, and frankly, we got, you know, very little guidance as to um, how, what will happen to the Stark waivers when that happens. What, what do you see as um, the influence of kind of insurance companies coming into the valuation market? You know, they, they have, we got, we got hospitals looking at sort of, we're not making money on these practices, um, but you've got historical data that might support higher prices for physician comp. And, and you got insurance companies coming in and seeing opportunity and wanting to maybe wanting to spend more. How, how do you, how, how are you sort of, how are you thinking those concepts through? Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting point. And, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly seeing an uptick in that. I think you, you mentioned uh, rightfully so that, that, you know, they're, they're, pretty flush right now. They, they haven't been paying a lot of claims. So insurance uh, companies, I think, are in a position maybe they haven't necessarily been in previously. Um, and then you couple that with what's going on in the marketplace. Um, so many uh, physician practices finding themselves um, in financial distress um, that it kind of creates a perfect storm there. 
Um, and it, you know, it's something that we wrestle with, um, particularly when we deal with a lot of uh, hospital clients. Um, you know, they seem to be at a um, you know somewhat of a disadvantage uh, with the way the current regulatory um, laws are set up. So, you know, and we hear this a lot from our hospital clients that you know I'm in a, I'm in an unlevel playing field with private equity, for example. Um, you know, they don't have to play by the same rules. Um, and so I think that is going to create some pretty difficult situations. And, you know, we see, and I've seen, and you've probably seen this as well, some really, and I can't really wrap my hands around some of these really um, high multiples, you know, 14, 15 time multiples for physician practices and, and trying to wrap my mind around the economics of that. Um, and of course, when you couple that with, you know, what a hospital, you know, when we think about it in terms of fair market value, that may be half that. It may be, you may be looking at eight, nine, 10 times multiple for the same practice. Um, so I think it's, it's going to continue to be an issue. We've seen it, you know, pre-COVID cause issues, particularly in, in various markets. I've seen it, you know, here in Baton Rouge, for example, uh, on, on a number of occasions. And I, I think we'll see more of it. Um, and then you, you know, juxtapose that with insurance and I'm seeing them kind of become more, I'm seeing more and more of that um, uh, come out of kind of the public health emergency. And so it's almost a, you know, we're adding that layering that on top of uh, what we're seeing uh, with private equity. And there may be others as well. I think there's going to be a lot of questions about where does that go? And, you know, I think we go back to Stark and, you know, what was, was that ever the intent to create that kind of dynamic? Um, when we look back at, you know, what Stark was originally intended um, to be and what it has become, and then the kind of situations that that creates, um, I, think, I think, if anything else, I think the, one of the biggest things for me, and you touched on this earlier, is that I think COVID has highlighted the need to reform the Stark Law. Um, so I think post-COVID, we may very well see a lot of support for reforms to Stark and, and a kickback uh, in Congress. Um, obviously, you know, we're in election year and, um, you know, I think things are becoming very political. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, it probably won't gain a lot of steam uh, in the near term probably not until after the presidential election will we see uh, some movement on that. But I very much think that these kind of situations and what, what's come out of um, the public health emergency are really going to drive reform around the Stark Law because I think it's, it's highlighted a lot of issues to, to that will have to be addressed. And I think we'll see operators in the market really demand that. This brings us to the end of our time for part one in our conversation with Bill Mathias. Stay tuned for part two coming soon. Thank you for listening to Buy-In, a podcast from Horn Healthcare. Buy-In is produced by Horn LLP. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For more about Horn, visit hornllp.com.